Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the editor here at Patient Worthy. And today we're going to be discussing neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder, also known as NMO or NMOSD. That's a rare autoimmune disease that affects central nervous system function, resulting in symptoms such as pain, vision loss, limb weakness, and numbness. And to help in our discussion today, I'm happy to say we have two very special guests. Nell Choi is a patient advocate who was diagnosed with NMO when she was nine years old. And her mother, Dr. Maggie Kang, is a board-certified radiologist and patient advocate who also dedicates her time to helping support the mental well-being of parents of children with rare conditions. Nell, Maggie, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. you. Uh, thank you for making the time to come on. And to start off with, as always, Maggie, would you mind giving us an introduction to neuromyelitis optica for listeners who may not be familiar? Sure. Neuromyelitis optica spectrum disease, sometimes referred to as NMOSD, is a rare autoimmune neurologically based disease that affects the optic nerve, spinal cord, and less often the brain too. And it can manifest clinically as blindness, eye pain, paralysis, and generally weakened nerves, the ones that it affects. And for us, it was primarily the brain. And Nell, you were nine years old when you were diagnosed with this condition. What do you remember about that time in your life? Yeah, so prior to my diagnosis, I was a really robustly healthy kid. I played travel across. I was pretty spunky and loud. And then, bam, I remember we came back from our vacation skiing in Colorado, and all of a sudden, I just wasn't myself. I started feeling really dizzy and tired all the time, which was the opposite of who I usually was. So we knew that something was wrong. And it was pretty scary when my mom first took me to the ER, and I felt like my whole world at first was turned upside down. Yeah. And Maggie, can you talk about what it was like as a parent to see your child receive a diagnosis like this? Yes. It's really hard to describe in words. I think as a parent, you always worry about something like this happening, but you never actually believe it's real or that it's going to happen to your kid. And like Nell said, she was always so healthy from birth all the way through her toddler and preschool years. It never really occurred to me that we were going to live a life out like anything else that looked like perfect health. And so when she started to develop her very nonspecific symptoms, I really just thought it was nothing. But when it didn't resolve and started to progress, I started to get very worried. But when I took her to the ER, I wasn't actually even thinking we were going to have a diagnosis like this given to us. I really just thought maybe it was some kind of unusual, maybe more severe type of flu or something that was self-limited to that one time. So when we were given the diagnosis of an incurable, rare autoimmune disease, I guess the only word I can tell you is that I was shocked that I was at first in denial. I thought they had gotten this wrong and I was trying to do my own personal investigation through Google and trying to think of other ways of explaining what was happening, but it was real. And I think it took me a long time to really embrace that our lives had completely changed. So I think that's the best way to describe it as a parent. Yeah. So this sounds like this was a complete surprise, not something that you could have seen symptoms of before this particular event. And you've had to adapt to that, obviously, since then. I'll just open the question up to both of you. Can you talk about some of the ways that this 
NMO diagnosis has changed your life? When I returned to school, everything felt different in many ways. I was definitely not the same lacrosse player. I remember I really wanted to have my old life back. And I tried so hard for so long to be the same girl I was pre-diagnosis. So I tried so hard to get back onto my travel lacrosse team. And I remember at practice, there was this one time we were doing some strength and conditioning and I just couldn't keep up like with the push-ups that everyone was doing. And I kind of just like fell and collapsed on the turf and everyone was so scared. And I went home that night just feeling terrible about myself and wondering how I could ever be the same strong person I was before. And then after a while, that started to change. And I started to realize maybe I wasn't the same girl I was before, but maybe that there were other outlets for me to find my new self. And so I started turning to art and writing and music and kind of found my own community there as well. In addition, which I'll talk probably about later, the rare disease community and advocacy itself. Yeah, thank you. And Maggie? Yeah. You know, just sort of picking up on Nell's point about when she tried to go back to her travel across life, I think that there is definitely this tendency to want to recreate your life and want to make it sort of, that was what you thought was normal and you want to get back to what was normal. And in some ways I learned later that trying to recreate what you had previously is sort of a form of denial and resisting of your new situation. So I do think that for me, that was also my initial response. I wanted to go back to lacrosse, the activities, all the social things that we were doing, have her go back to school and reconnect with all of her friends and have our lives look exactly the way it was before. But I think we did both come to terms with the fact that life had changed a lot and a lot may not ever look the same. But that is also, I think, bringing up a really important idea of that there's a feeling of loss. And I think as mom, I'll speak from my perspective that you do have dreams about what your kids are going to do and who they'll be and what their future might look like. And a lot of that losses and the grieving process that you're going through is that you do have to give that up in order to move forward. And that is, of course, not to say that life is horrible and you have to accept a horrible life on I think Nell is starting to allude to the idea later, as we'll probably get into, that you do create a new life, sort of a new narrative, as I like to call it. So that's kind of, I guess, a good overview of how we manage our transition. Yeah, that's got to be a a difficult lesson to face, that the life that you you thought you had, it might not be exactly the same, but it doesn't mean necessarily that your life is over, just that maybe your goals change. And Nell, you spoke earlier about how you turned to art as an outlet after your diagnosis, sort of pivoting from the sports that you had enjoyed before. As I mentioned in the the intro, you actually wrote a book at age 12 called My Hospital Story that details your journey in the hospital when you were diagnosed with NMO. That's a perspective that an unfortunate amount of kids do get, but that many kids actually don't get. So I think that being able to share that story is really important. Can you talk about your book and how you hope it will help others? Yeah, totally. It actually started as a journal that I wrote right after the hospital when I was processing a lot of the really tough memories and trauma that I experienced. And as I started journaling, I remembered this image of being when I was in the hospital, I would always see other kids 
in the rooms, when I was in my PT sessions, walking up and down the halls or being pushed in my wheelchair, I would always see other kids sitting in their rooms, looking as like lost and alone as I did and just sitting with their IV poles alone. And I always really wanted to talk to them and hear their stories as much as I wanted to share mine. And so I guess that was the whole purpose of creating this book to help other kids feel less alone in their experiences. And I also tried to tie a little bit of humor and insight into these little journal entry chapters that I created of my day-to-day hospital experience. And not only do I want other kids who might have similar experiences to feel connected to my story, but also for people who might not know what that experience is like and how they can support those around them that are going through that. Yeah, I think that's a great goal in your writing, helping others. And you know, <laughs> thank you for writing that. I'm sure that a lot of people have gotten some great perspective from that. And Maggie, to kind of keep in this theme of how life changes after receiving a diagnosis like this, one way in which your life has changed, but professionally and as as a mother, is that you have shifted focus away from radiology to helping the parents of children with rare conditions. Can you tell us some more about that? Sure. So yes, as a radiologist, obviously I was really in the practice of detecting disease. In my mind, I would always wonder what that was like for the patient to receive that diagnosis or to talk to a doctor about, yeah, some grave disease that their loved ones might have. So I was obviously the mother that received this horrible diagnosis. And so I learned firsthand what that was like. And after going through what I went through, I felt like I had more to give in that way to patients. So I felt like after decades of doing radiology, and though it was really rewarding and exciting to learn all of those disease processes, I wanted to focus more on the human side of patient care. And I also personally really enjoy interacting and being part of relationships with humans, which as you might guess with radiology, you don't have so much of because mostly I'm interacting with a computer and images. So the main message I think that I wanted to share with people, I actually brought on the TEDx stage, and it was this idea of the difference between pain and suffering as I learned it as a mother learning the diagnosis of her child. So I think that what I I talked about a little bit before, this idea of accepting the loss and grief and this concept of acceptance. And that's a lot of what I do with the rare and chronic disease community folks I'm in touch with. And I think it really is maybe the first big step one might take after receiving a diagnosis is really just getting into that full space of acceptance. And it's only when you, I think, accept and you stop with the resisting and the fighting and the anger, which are all part of the normal process. But when you do get to that point, that is, in my opinion, the point at which you can move forward. Yes. And I know one of the central messages of your work in helping to support the rare disease community is about that acceptance of pain and changing narratives in your life after a tough diagnosis. You spoke a little bit about your TED talk there, which is something that we'll definitely link to in the show notes so people can check that out. But would you mind expanding on that a little bit, this idea of acceptance of pain and changing narratives in your life? Yes, absolutely. So The whole thing about pain, I think, is that it is part of our human experience. I don't know that any person is going to leave 
earth without having that experience of pain, which is loss, suffering, grief, disappointment, sadness, all of that. And then, of course, the full range of human emotion, including love and gratitude and joy. But I think the idea sometimes or the messages that we might receive in our world is to try and do things to avoid pain, maybe buying this item or overeating or doing something to that effect. But really, I think I just wanted to share the message that pain happens and it's actually better to accept it and really just kind of move through it without trying to resist it. And so in my example, pain versus suffering, when I received the message that my daughter had this rare disease, it was extraordinarily painful. And my first response was to deny it, to fight it, and then to try and blame myself and to try and fix it and control it. Those are all ways of resisting pain. So I wasn't fully aware of what I was doing until I talked to a life coach about it. And when I realized what I was doing, I finally just got into a quiet space and allowed myself to accept that my daughter has a rare disease, but that I didn't give it to her and that this is just part of our lives now. And when I came to accept it and really move through all of the emotions of what that meant for me, including the loss of the life that I thought we were going to have and the person and the robust health of the girl that was my daughter. All of that had to be sort of processed emotionally. And of course, that was a little bit tough for me because I have to tell you, I'm not a super emotional person, but I came to understand the value of processing emotion. And when I sat with that, it didn't honestly last that long. And when I got through the sort of other side of that, I was in a place where I could see options in my life and move forward. And as you mentioned, create the narrative I wanted in my life. And that's also, by the way, a difference is that when you acknowledge that you can create a narrative, you are realizing that you have agency in your life. And although you don't have the ability to control the circumstances of your life, meaning I can't control whether or not my daughter has a rare disease. I can control my response to that. And so the response that I chose was the narrative I created, which sort of brings me to the TED Talk. It sort of brought Nell to writing a book, and it got us to a place where we were involved in rare disease advocacy and really has changed the entire course and purpose, if you will, of our lives. Gotcha. Thank you. And that that makes total sense. As you mentioned, you're both also active in rare disease advocacy. And some of our writers here at Patient Worthy, we ran into you earlier this year at Rare Disease <laughs> Day and last month at the Nord Patient and Family Forum. Both of those were in Washington, D.C. Can you both talk about your work in advocacy and why it's important for parents and patients to get involved? My first step into advocacy was probably my book. And that's when I really realized the power of storytelling, especially for us that are a part of the rare community where people aren't really familiar with what our experiences are like, telling your story and encouraging others to share theirs is one of the best ways to get others to support you and get even legislation passed. I know that I was, this was my first time going to Rare Disease Week this year, and I was super scared to go to my first legislative meeting. I was kind of clamming up and getting all nervous. But when I got there and started talking just genuinely about my story and seeing how the staffers and legislators would listen with care about 
what I experienced, what I went through, it was just a moment where I felt like I was acknowledged, I was heard, and that my voice could make a difference for not only myself and my experience, but the experiences of others. Yeah, many people talk about when they go to these rare disease events or or legislative meetings and things like that, just getting to be around if not other rare disease patients that have their condition, just being around other rare patients in general and being able to empathize with each other and sort of commiserate about things. What was it like? Had you met anybody prior to Rare Disease Day that had NMOSD or had you met with any other rare disease patients? I had before this year, but most of it was virtual. So especially during the pandemic, I had maybe message on Instagram or through my Rare Disease Foundation talk with other people, but I had never been face-to-face with so many other rare disease patients. And I felt so empowered and like I didn't have to hide myself for one of the first times since my diagnosis around a lot of my other friends who don't have rare disease. It's a lot of the time hard to talk about your symptoms and stuff. But I remember someone just came up to me and said, hey, I have this disease. What do you have? What are your symptoms? And It was just such an open conversation and I felt so invited and included. Maybe so that awkwardness went away. You know, people were on on your same level. They they knew about it. Yeah. Maggie, can you talk about what you've done with advocacy so far and, and why it's important for parents to get involved in this as well? Sure. I basically have gotten involved through Nell, to be honest, because after she wrote her book, she connected with the Sumire Foundation. And now we are both ambassadors to that. And for some reason, after the book, it just seems to connect her to different organizations. And so we got on all these email lists. And so that's why we attended the Rare Disease Week, the RDLA. And of course, we live right outside Washington, D.C., so super easy for us to participate in that. But I think that the reason why I, I always tell people to try and get involved in at least the foundation of your rare disease, if not the wider community of rare disease, is because there is certain strength about community. And that just is emotionally and personally uplifting and empowering, as I think Nell had mentioned. Also, it gives you a lot of educational materials and resources that you may or may not even be aware of. And though we are rare, for some reason, the number of not specifically our rare disease, but rare disease collectively, we're not actually that rare. We do have a very powerful voice. And that particular organization at Rare Disease Week was very powerful in educating us about the legislative process and how to talk to our senators and our congressmen. And so Nell and I were right there on the front lines walking from the House to the Senate. And I thought that was exciting and educational, but also personally impactful to know that we're part of change in our government, which is sometimes it's hard to feel like we can even affect very much changes from a general standpoint. So that was very rewarding. I think also I enjoy advocacy too, because it's been personally rewarding for me to meet other people, like other parents. And it is actually deeply humbling to see what other parents are doing for their kids, just the amazing love and the dedication. Nell and I were at a teen prom event at Children's National Hospital just a few weeks ago. And we observed parents, you know, basically helping their kids on a wheelchair or helping them outside of their ICU beds sort of getting into clothing so that they can attend a prom, probably an experience that they have never had before. And so 
I just really am moved by the amazing commitment of caregivers and the support staff at the hospital. I want to just recognize Angelica Bowman. She works in the child life section or the support patient support section of Children's National. And she conceived this idea and really made a beautiful event for kids who may not be able to attend prom. That's great. I'm really glad that you both had really good experiences so far with advocacy. That That's really good to hear. For this last question, I actually like to hear both your perspectives again on, on this last topic. And this is something that we often ask our podcast guests. What advice do you have for people who are newly diagnosed with a rare condition? Can be an MOSD or just a rare condition in general. We'd really like to hear what your advice is. I can go first, I guess. I would say that it's going to feel scary at first, but know that you're not alone and that there's a huge community surrounding you there for support. If you don't know where to turn, this is something I did during the pandemic. I connected with all these. I started following all these rare disease foundation accounts on my Instagram. And then all of a sudden I got all these like messages and invites to like support groups and different things. And I all of a sudden felt like I had people to talk to who understood what I was going through. And so I guess my advice is to try and advocate for yourself and build that support network because really that's when you have a hard day. You can always turn to those people who really care about you and who will understand and support you. Okay. And Maggie? Yeah, I guess something similar basically is that at first it's going to feel like you're the only one. And I think a lot of those feelings that I had described before about anger and confusion and why is this, why is this happening? All of those are normal, but when you get to that point where of acceptance, of course, and you want to connect, I definitely recommend finding a foundation if there is one available. And just sort of more practically speaking, I was not on social media, but when I got on social media, just on the Facebook groups, there are at least five, if not more, Facebook groups specifically for NMO. And I I would imagine that would also exist for many other rare diseases. And if not one, why don't you create one? It's just, it's amazing how much connection and understanding and compassion there is if you sort of just seek it out and put yourself out there. And that was the last of the questions that I had sort of sketched out here. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't touch upon that you'd like to talk about or anything further that either one of you would like to say? I guess I just wanted to make a little a little more comment about Nell's book. Obviously, I'm very biased. I think it's amazing. But I did find that when Nell was going through it, I wanted to look for ways of supporting Nell. And so I look for books because she likes to read. And we didn't find any book available in written from a kid's perspective in this exact scenario of a long hospital stay. So I would recommend this to parents of even any kids with, with or without a chronic disease, but just having an experience in the hospital. It's really useful to just read it from a kid's perspective. And interestingly, a lot of her messages were so broadly applicable. A lot of adults who had suffered some kind of diagnosis or a long hospital stay got a lot of Nell's book too. Nell, do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about before we start with the outro? I think that was good. I don't, I can't think of anything that, yeah. Okay. I think we have a few different avenues of further information that we can offer for our listeners here. If someone wants to learn more about neuromyelitis, optic spectrum disorder, or pick up a copy of your book, Nell, or learn about your work as a life coach, Maggie, where are the best places for them to do that? 
So for my book, you can find me and message me on Instagram at my hospital story. And my hospital story, my book is also available for purchase on Amazon purchase on Amazon. Yeah. And I actually have her book on my website too. If you want to learn more about me, I'm at www.maggiekangmd.com. My email is maggiekangmd at gmail.com. If you're interested specifically on getting a free PDF and want to get on my email list, it's a PDF I offer on how you can start to create your narrative. And that is at maggiekangmd.com forward slash freebie. Okay. Well, now, Maggie, I'd like to thank you both for coming on the show today to share your stories and the great work you're doing to support the wear community. It's very much appreciated. Thank Thank you. Yeah. And if you'd like to learn more about NMO or the work that Maggie and Nell are doing with the rare disease community, we'll leave links to all of those websites in the show notes for this episode. And remember, you can always keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting our website at patientworthy.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for patientworthy on those platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. It may seem like a small thing, but a review or rating really does go a long way toward helping us out. And finally, if you have any questions about the podcast or perhaps an idea for a future episode, you can get in touch with me by sending me an email at colby at patientworthy.com. That does it for today's episode. Thank you once again to Dr. Maggie Kang and Nell Choi for joining me on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.